countdown. It did. I got the one, two, three. Boom, boom, boom. One, two, three, or three, two, one. Oh, snap. I think it was three, two, one. Now that you mention it, let's be clear, Heather, here. <laughs> Which way did the count go? <laughs> it was a countdown, not a count up. So, indeed. Yes. Yeah. But, and do you think you do a countdown because then it's obvious that you go on zero as opposed to when you say, all right, let's go on three, one, two, and everyone's like, wait, do you go on three or after three? Do you think it makes more yeah, sense? I supp- yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems to make sense. Yeah. And just, just like zero's go time, the beginning, yeah. 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 Hmm. I think so. Um, in Kona this year, there was hardly any countdown. So, like, for the women, we were waiting for a bit of a countdown, and then all of a sudden it was just like, meh, Oh, it's just off. Oh, snap. Yeah, yeah that's always weird. fun when that happens. Yeah. I anyway, mean, I appreciate uh, that it doesn't happen, so everyone's not doing, like, the massive start line creep, and you're all just like, when's the g- creeping, creeping, when's the gun going to go? Like, make the gun go, come on, come on. So it's good for that, but it's, yeah, yeah it's a little extreme if you're totally caught unawares. Yeah, yeah. And then they also didn't have the cannon. I think the cannon was broken for the women, so they just had this little, meep, you know, those horn things? Oh, air horn, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was hmm. just, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, we're definitely not here to talk to you about Kona. Oh, really? That's my favorite <laughs> subject. What? <laughs> uh, I, I haven't even introduced you yet. Uh, but oh, everyone who is listening, and there's millions of people. Yeah, let's do that. Millions. Uh, this easily. is millions. Yeah. Uh, this is Heather Wertel. Imagine people clapping. So thank right, you. Right. I assume you're curtsying <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, that's 100% it, what I'm doing. And I imagine curtsying is extremely hard when you're really tall. Yeah, you know, there's certain things in my life that I, I have not learned to do, one of which is uh, walking in high heels, and another would be uh, a proper curtsy because, shockingly, um, the occasion has never come up in which I've needed either <laughs> thing. <laughs> So, no, I don't know how to curtsy. And, yeah, yeah. it would be ironic if Grace was my middle name, for sure. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Is is curtsying a thing of the past? Uh, Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, maybe (laughs) unless you're doing some ballet or going to hang out with the queen or something. Like, yeah. Yeah. I do think when you talk about uh, spending time with the Queen, it, you would definitely say I'm hanging out with the Queen. It, that's how, yeah. we, how you casually <laughs> Me and my BFF, the Queen, we're just hanging out. That's, yeah. <laughs> Chilling. Chilling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get on. As you know, this, this um, podcast is, is not too much about triathlon. Uh, we want to get to know you a little bit better. But you have just announced your retirement from the sport, so we've got to touch on that. A little bit, obviously. Um, first of all, how's retirement going? You've just announced on the socials about a right. week ago, I think. Yeah, was it that? I felt like it was maybe last uh, Friday. So, yeah. Yeah. whatever that was, like, over the Friday, weekend, whatever. Friday. Yeah, a little while enough yeah. for it to be like all of the things on Facebook and Instagram and the warm fuzzies and the yeah, yeah. letting it sink in on social media. But yeah, it's been it's been coming as a decision for. A while, so it's not uh, yeah. a shocker on our end, but um, 
Yeah, it's hard to know, figure out the right time, honestly, to announce such a thing. Uh, and I wanted to be really sure that that was what I wanted to do as well. So I, I wanted some time after Ironman, winning Ironman Canada. Like that for me was a, was a big goal of the year. And after that race went so well, and I actually like enjoyed racing an Ironman again and just had one of those brilliant days. I was like, oh, yeah. mic drop, like <laughs> I'm pretty okay <laughs> with like peacing out right now. But at the same time, it was yeah. like, but, but I don't know, you know, it's moving back to Benticta next year and Ironman in St. George is a full again and I'm still competitive at these things. And like, you know, maybe I'm going to want to keep going. And uh, so it was something that I didn't you know, uh, it's been kind of a long time coming, uh, but I didn't approach it lightly and didn't want to just sort of uh, announce it prematurely. So we wanted to be sure that, uh, yeah, it was time to be done. It was just one of those gradual things where there's sort of less and less excitement leading up to every race you're doing and a little bit less, like a little bit more pull of, man, you know, I, I'd really like to go downhill skiing in the winter again. And I, and I kind of got mm. bored in that race. And like, I've never get bored before. Like I'm usually just so competitive and engaged and focused that like, you know, you're just, I would never think like, oh, this is kind of a boring course. Like we're just on the highway, Meh. Yeah, right. like, <laughs> not really into yeah. it. And it just sort of started getting that way yeah. the last couple of years. And so you start going, oh, okay, well maybe it's, um, I'm, after a while, like, well, what does winning even mean anymore? And what am I like, what's genuinely mm. this doing for me? So you start to like search for different things, different life experiences. Uh, and yeah. And so it was just like a natural thing. Eventually you just, um, not all gung ho about being a hundred percent focused on racing all the time. And, uh, and it's a natural progression yeah. to move on. Yeah. And, and I feel like, um, in our sport, if you are not 100% focused and, you know, loving it, it makes your job a hell of a lot harder. Yeah, well, it, it feels like a job. It starts to become a job, you know, like yeah. when you're self-coaching, like just go to work, you know, and like just do your job out there as opposed to sort of more positive cues or just being like so into the progression as an athlete or into that feeling of just pushing yourself to the max and like, that's what I've always loved about racing. Like, man, let's see what I can do today. You know, I'm going to toe the line. I love it best when I'm like, there's a competitive group of women that I'm racing and they're forcing me to up my game and like, let's do this, you know? Um, yeah. And, and then after a while, you're just like, huh, yeah, I, I'm just not getting that um, sense of stoke about it all kind of. So yeah. yeah. And, and I've always been someone that, you know, both Trevor and I, we were like a hundred percent in. And we didn't, we mm. didn't, I don't think we're really people that we could just, and some people have managed it very well. They, you know, have had other interesting full-time jobs and trained in sort of a different way and maybe had more fun, maybe race, like race less, but we were sort of like all in. And then I think we're quite happy to be all out, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolute sense. And And the thing is, I mean, it's kind of been a, a great full circle. It's been a decade since you basically packed up your life and started the RV life, right? When you both decided to become pro, that was 2009. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And, and to, to do that is the epitome of going all in. Like you've literally thrown everything into a van and gone out and doing what you love and, and chasing those podiums and uh, for the love of swim, bike, run. Totally. Like, and that was so cool, honestly, looking back and just going, 
holy shit, like that was a pretty ballsy move to me, to just do that in the first place. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but at the time we're like, what, what? We're not going to look back and like regret giving it a go. And we were kind of like, worst case yeah. scenario, we're like starving and we, we're not really good at this in a couple years. And then we just have to go back to our jobs. Like, it's okay. You know, best case scenario, yeah. man, maybe we could make a career out of being professional triathletes. Maybe we could, you know be really good at this and yeah. oh my goodness that's actually what we were able to do like holy cow you know it's uh it's been a pretty cool journey to like yeah go all in like that sort of take the risk and it, you know it was lean times to start you like i had won uh, an ironman already in Coeur d'Alene while i was working full-time and that was what kind of lit the fire under our butts to like oh my goodness if we were training all the time you know like maybe yeah, we could be yeah. good at it but then it's not as easy as like oh now we're training all the time and like we're just gonna win everything right so it's like a big, <laughs> a big learning curve with like how much to travel with the rv like we actually discovered it's not very good for training if you're needing to park your rv in a different place every night <laughs> and like trying to live yeah right inexpensively yeah. like you need to be close to a pool you need to have more structured training environment and all these things so like a couple years of having you know, lentils for dinner and uh, trying to, to make a go of it. And then, okay, winning, winning some races and getting some sponsors. And it was just this really cool, committed, gradual progression to win. Like, yeah, man, now I'm putting my out world champs and like have good sponsor contracts. And, uh, you know, in 2015 to 2016, I won like five half Ironmans in a row and was second at Worlds and like just had some real big career highlights that were like so gratifying to look back on um because it, it totally couldn't have gone you know it might not have gone that way but it was really cool that it did absolutely and so t 10 years of uh, i guess taking the leap and, and and jumping in how have you seen i guess the sport the sport change in terms of um you know sponsors is that do you think it's gotten harder to get sponsors is it about the same what what other changes have you have you seen Oh, that's such an interesting uh, and like pretty nuanced question when you're like just in it. <laughs> All the, one yeah. thing I've seen that's been such a huge change and, and I'm very grateful actually for having my career kind of span that change was when we started being professional triathletes, it was basically like analog. <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but it was like, seriously, like not, we took photos with a camera right like <laughs> <laughs> you had a separate device that oh took photos <laughs> oh, like, so i mean and and it wasn't just everyone had these brilliant smartphones and like it was really like if there was triathlon coverage it was in a, a magazine that you held in your hand right yeah. and it was a big deal to get an article in a magazine and you know, you were like, that was sort of like, oh, if I win this race, I'm going to get a little mention and maybe, you know, and, and that was sort of what controlled the um, exposure in the sport. And in mm. some ways it was good because I felt like um, there was a bit of like editorial process, like results really mattered and yep. people with interesting stories and stuff got covered. But then also it was kind of a bummer because if you say are Canadian and have one tiny triathlon magazine and um, you might not, and are a female, you just might not get as much exposure as you feel is ideal. <laughs> and so then yeah. that was kind of the way you could bolster your 
you know, who would see you and like, okay, well, I won all these races, but like, I, you can't see what I did anywhere. And so it was really cool when it's like, oh, wow, what do you mean? Like social media? Oh, I can like post my own thing on Facebook and show pictures from the race and have Instagram in these ways to connect. So that was like kind of magic. And you're just like, damn, like people that are interested in me as an athlete will like follow me and you can share stuff. So it was like that birth of all that stuff. And it just was like, so cool because you were kind of in control of it. And I thought it was really great for the sport because, you know, you could put your own content out and it was back when there were no algorithms and things just showed up when they showed up, you know, in the timeline on Instagram and stuff. And then it just went so far the other way, like to where it's like not even real anymore. People are like working the algorithms to get more followers to, you know, buying this and that and then you're just going wow okay so this used to be like a reflection of who was interested in you and now it's like genuinely and now it's just this blown out of proportion like crazy thing that everyone's trying to sort of work the system to get engagement and all that stuff and so it you're just kind of going ah geez and then sponsors went from being like wow you're one of the best in the world like wow you've won this many races cool like here's a good bonus structure to like how many followers do you have and uh you know this type of engagement and 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 uh, like I appreciate there's different ways um that they need you know to reach their audience and stuff and like Trevor and I were I think we were always pretty creative like he always made his funny videos I think was like ahead of the curve on the whole YouTube end of things but we didn't do it (sighs) with a commercial intent we didn't do it to think like oh hey we can get followers we did it because we're like this is hilarious and there needs to be more of that in triathlon i think people are going to get out of like someone taking the piss out of themselves sort of in this mocking type race reports or doing like a spoof of being wayne and garth uh like sponsor promo and, and, and nonsense like that so it's kind of funny. Like sometimes we've been like, Oh, we were sort of doing that, but like not in the way it's all getting done now where it was like, Oh, here's my channel. And, and I'm like, I, I appreciate that that's the way to promote sponsors, but it's kind of like, man, okay. So you have to be a world-class athlete and you have to produce all of this like content, the social media stuff. You have to be amazing at Instagram. You have to like, uh, and so it starts to just feel like, wow. It, uh, it, you know, it's not about just being the, trying to be the best athlete in the world it's about all this other stuff yeah. and that's been a bit of a drag Every, everybody now can record a podcast can start a website can do this can do that um so i think there's i guess the best way to say it is there's a lot of noise out there and one of the hardest things would be able to cut through that noise when sponsors are listening to that noise i, I feel like it's the, the whole sponsorship layout is completely different and kind of off key these days. I don't know. I feel like everyone needs to sort of find themselves again. Do you think? It honestly feels like that to me. I feel, um, and I don't know whether it's, um, oh, what's the word? Heightened as a female athlete, uh, you know, where you feel like, wow, okay, so is it not about my results? Like, is it not about me as an athlete? It's about, you know, like people are like, well, we'll sponsor this chick who sits on her trainer with like perfect hair and makeup but has 80,000 followers um and you're going well okay but what does that have to do you know and is that what people are really engaged by like for me I was never like 
I don't know. I feel like if you're into the sport, you can, you know, when someone is real or, or, or maybe you don't, yeah. I don't know. This is where sometimes I get confused. I'm like, well, if that many people follow that, then really, or are they all fake followers yeah. or like, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so it's it is it's a weird space uh, where you feel like, man, I want it to be about performance as an athlete because uh, that's yeah. the metric, like right? Like, um, I feel like, wow, okay, that person is is the best. They're so fast on their bike. What equipment are they using? Like, yeah, you know, what is this yeah. person that is amazing at this sport choosing to use because that makes them faster? Like, those were my criteria. Like, okay, what? Oh, okay, what's that? Yeah. Like. Not, oh, well, she's hot. Cool, I'll get that bike. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a weird space. So. It's a really weird space. Mm. It's interesting. I find I find the whole conversation fascinating, and I wish I had an answer, but unfortunately I don't think there is at the moment, um, especially because, um, you know, the internet itself is so far ahead of, where where we are even like in terms of say photo usage and things like that the internet is just sort of blowing up and everything um and the you know copyright issues are so far the law and everything is so far behind the usage of photos that you know everything out on the internet is up for grabs and it's like well you know i just feel like we as a society are a step behind the very fast growing internet. It's, uh, I don't know, it's an interesting space. Frustrating, interesting. Yeah. And um, what I find, what I find yeah. weird too is that they have algorithms are basically deciding what you see. And that frustrates me. Yeah. Like, I like that you could, you could go back at least on Instagram and pick to have your feed be like as they happen. Because like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want some, someone deciding that, like, if I followed this person, then I want to see what their thing is. I don't want them to be jacking up someone else's photo or whatever in my post just because a bunch of other people who they paid to do yeah. it liked it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, yeah. and even stuff I think like on Facebook, like if you have a really positive post and people are like, oh, love it. Uh, no one sees it. But if so people start arguing, then that gets fed into everyone's feed. Yeah. And as soon as it's negative, like more more eyes are on it because it's like, controversy and that's like so so depressing and then people are in this like oh everyone is so polarized it's like well that's Mm. just because we're getting fed that because it gets engagement because you sit there staring at your computer going oh my god did you read that comment did you see that that's ridiculous and you're just like this is not a good use of my time (laughs) you know like this really uh so it's so yeah it's so weird yeah the whole thing is is uh it's it's an interesting space i was like so ready to just delete all of social media <laughs> but then i'm uh, like really? uh, but i do like instagram and what was actually gratifying was um having so much positive feedback from people being like thank you for just keeping it real and uh we really appreciated yeah. like your honesty and just being like doing your career as team Rattel and kind of not selling out and not being like super cheese on the marketing and all that and so you feel like people know, you know, like really, it might not seem like that sometimes when you're on social media, but over the course of your career, people are like, yeah, they operated with integrity. Like we're aware that was pretty cool actually. And so that was like, yeah, that's nice. Like people notice and sort of appreciate that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I I, I think so sometimes I get so cynical and I'm like, ah, nothing matters. Like people are just, but then I'm like, no, it really does. Like at the end of the day, uh, is it, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I, I do agree. I had this conversation with someone the other day and she, uh, I can't remember the actual question, but it was something along the lines of, you know, what's your ethos in terms of your, your career and the way you live your life? And it just kept uh, coming down to integrity above all else. And it, uh, while that might t- uh, mean that you take the longer, the longer route to get somewhere, uh, you end up being the winner in the end. It, like that sounds so naff, but I do fully believe that. We can take the shortcuts and do the, the, the other way, but I don't know. Integrity eventually will always win out, um, and that's obvious with the, the response that you guys have gotten since, I guess, announcing your retirement for sure. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, um, yeah, like, yeah, the people that get it, get it, and they're arguably sort of the ones that matter, and the people that really get it and really know you and love you, like, they're going to know you and love you no matter what, you know, family and friends, and all the rest of the people right. that are just, it, it doesn't really matter uh, anyway. So um, that yeah. is another weird thing with right. all of with social media and whatever is this, like, skewed sense of how much people care. Like about you and your life, because really, no one really cares. Like, like most people, I'm sure, were like, "Oh wow, Heather's retiring. Cool." Like, like, "Oh, she had a great career. Oh, I'm surprised." Or, and that was as much as they thought about it, right? Like, really, some yeah, people right. that are like really, really good friends or whatever were maybe more into it. Or some people, you know, you met at races. There's maybe more personal connection and stuff. But honestly, at the end of the day, it was not a lot of thought. Like, you know, um, and. And, and, and that was what I kind of had to keep laughing at. Cause I was honestly just like, I was like, Oh, what's the best way to do it? And you know, mm. like, and then I'm like, well, it doesn't really like really <laughs> stop being so like, yeah. I don't know. So I've always feel with like everything on social media, this funny, um, between putting it out there. Cause people do genuinely care and are interested and want to share and are invested in you as an athlete, but also being like, really in the end of the day, like, does it, do you really, do people really care? Like, uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting. Hmm. And I think it'll probably, if you readdress this in six months, it'll be interesting to see where your head's at then as well. Um, you know, do you think people have moved? will have moved on pretty quickly? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, dude, people forget, like, when was Kona? Oh, like two weeks ago? Can you t- tell me Something right like now, like, the to- the top ten? I mean, people are so really like it's just yeah. it, we're so on to the next. Like, um, yeah, especially in sport. I mean, it's super short sighted. It's like, okay, that happened that weekend, and as an athlete, you're like, I've been preparing for this moment <laughs> for months, yeah. and I invested so much of my time and energy, and I gave it all I had, and maybe it went amazing, and maybe you came up short, and it's like a big deal to you. But to most people, it's like, oh, mm. it's a list. And maybe you're on it and maybe they yep. feel something about that or maybe, you know, no one cares at all. Like it's, and those that do care, it's a very small subs. I mean, it's triathlon. It's not, it's a very yeah. small yeah. sort of niche sport. And uh, so, yeah, in the big scheme of things, you know, if you're going like, oh, I, a legacy or people going to remember my amazing career, like that all is just a little bit silly. Um, so it comes down to like, well, am I, do I feel really satisfied with my career and am I happy with what I've done. Cause at the end of the day, that's yeah. the whole, that's what matters. Right. I mean, was I happy totally. with what I achieved and how I went about it? And, 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 uh, that's what matters. And are you? Yeah, totally. I mean, 
I had a, a big goal. I wanted to, I wanted to be a world champ. I was pretty darn close on four occasions. Yep. Um, and Very Hey, quiet. that's, that's how it went, right? Like those podiums, those days I gave it all I had with the world's best competition. And you're like, that's the way the cookie crumbles. You know, I don't feel like I could have done any more. I was like totally invested in the process and, uh, you know, just dealt with the cards I was handed. And yeah, so like it is, it's like, you look back and you go, damn, that was pretty happy with all of those things. You know, there's some things that were heartbreaking, like yeah. those memories, you know, where you like, like how I was almost won the challenge championship and then like so close I could taste it. And oh, then yeah. like, Totally done. You know, those little things that like, you'll like lie, lie awake in the middle of the yeah. night and be like, damn, that sucked. <laughs> and our brains are so good at remembering like, horrible little things as opposed to the celebrations, right? Aren't they? Oh, it's, yeah, it's funny yeah. about human nature that way. But it's just like, you know, you've, you've been at university for forever, but you still have like dreams about sleeping in for like a math final exam. Like, I don't know. I still have those. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Yep. What is it with the math? The math nightmares, seriously. I, I, I reckon for two years after I finished uni, I woke up feeling like I was late for an exam. Yeah. For two years, constantly. <laughs> it's so, so funny how those like stress situations are so kind of hardwired. Yeah, you have those dreams, like those yeah. race dreams where you're like moving in slow motion. And you're like trying to run, but like you're like oh, yeah. not going anywhere. And my classic pre-race dream would be like, yeah. I just forgot to set my transition up. So I get out of the swim and I'm like, oh shit, none of my stuff is here. <laughs> and that was a recurring dream? Oh yeah, I would have that dream all the time. In like different forms, oh, you know, wow. it would be like, I was in a rush and to get to the swim start and whatever. And then I'd get out and just be like, oh my goodness, don't have my helmet and my bike shoes and stuff here. And like... Now I can't even race, like, oh my God. and being so upset. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure everyone hey, has, like, variants for that. Sparkly. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I dream about going slow, but that ends up being reality anyway. Um, that, <laughs> you've, just, you've just sparked a memory. Was it you who jumped on a borrowed bike at a race? Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Mid race, it was you. Was it? it was you and um, I want to say Christy Sim was the person yeah. who mm-hmm. gave you her bike. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's, I, uh, just because that's popped into my into my brain about equipment and stuff. So what race was it again? Okay, so this was Ironman Cordelaine. Back right. in oh gee, I don't even know. I was the red Saucony kit year. <laughs> this is how I remember my years. <laughs> Actually, I was looking through the photos that you posted and, um, yeah, I was looking at all the different Saucony colours that you had trying to pick my favourite. I think I like the turquoisey, blue, purpley kind of one. Right. I think that was my favourite. Anyway, carry yeah, on. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was a little it was a little nipply on the top because the turquoise was pale, so sometimes that would be like a little – and I had like the built-in bra. So I know I have a lot of photos where I'm like, <laughs> but I did like the colours of that one. Can I ask you a question just on that? So as, sure, as yeah. a photographer, right? Taking photos of mainly female athletes, and a lot of the times you can see nippleage in in the in the photo. Would you prefer me to Photoshop them out, or we've all got nipples, whatever? Yeah, I think we've all got nipples, whatever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, unless it's like super see through, and we're seeing like 
everything than than maybe but yeah. normally it's just it's just like a, a nipple bump right and uh yeah <laughs> i mean dudes have those too so. but yeah oh i know <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah okay so back to quarterline but um oh yeah what tangent oh yeah shit so i was having an amazing race was winning by was winning by like a huge margin and just the last so there was like 12 miles left to get into town and the crank fell off my bike uh so i'm just like pedaling and then i'm like what is going on and the bottom bracket is all wobbly and then the freaking crank falls right off and it's a 10 it's a 10 mil allen key to put that thing back on which of course no one in their right mind like i had an allen key set but it doesn't have a 10 on it neutral support rolls up they don't have a 10 like and it was crazy because i was uh, i was on the side of the road like losing my mind and yeah. uh, people were rolling up. And it's so funny. This one guy, he was like a challenged athlete. He had one leg. He rolls up and he's like, here, take my bike. I'm like, dude, I am not taking your bike. Like, what are you doing? Like, you Thank you. I really appreciate it. And you know what was so funny is we reconnected again this year in Coeur d'Alene at the 70.3. And he's like, I'm the dude. And I was like, oh, my God, that was oh. so funny. So, yeah, that was actually oh, that's so pretty, cool. pretty awesome to see him again. Yeah. Yep, that's very but, cool. So, anyway, so I like, can't fix it, can't fix it. And honestly, I had... If I'd have thought hard about it, I could have one-legged, I could seriously have one-legged pedaled in, but you just start thinking like, I gotta, I gotta fix this. Like, you know, I have to somehow reattach it. And so Christy Stim, who's having an awful day, goes by the other direction. So like on the way out. So like way, way back and goes like, oh my God, like you only have to, you know, you're still, I think by that time I was on the road the side of the road for like almost 20 minutes meredith had gone by who was second in second place and she's like dude you could still like get on the podium and finish the race like just take my bike and i'm like well it's not outside assistance right like because you're another athlete and so i was like okay fuck it sure let's do it so i squished my feet into her little like peed in shoes i'm sitting on this like tiny <laughs> cervello because I'm six foot two, right? And she's just like normal person height. So I'm like basically riding like BMX bike back into town. And I'm laughing because honestly, I was just so happy to be moving forward and kind of was like, oh, this is a pretty funny story of like resilience. And I'm going to get to the run. And like my point at that point was to qualify for Kona. And I'm like, I'm still probably going to be second. And it's going to be like a, a great story. So, you know, so I'm just like, all right, I'm getting into getting into T2 and and then I run the first lap of the marathon and uh, the ref is like, you're disqualified for outside assistance. And I'm like, but it wasn't outside assistance. She was in the race. It was like a fellow athlete helping and, and uh, uh, you know, and then this was all going on and behind the scenes, my coach is freaking out and calling Paula Newby Fraser and everyone's just going like, what is the rule? Like, this is ridiculous if she's going to be disqualified because like, obviously no advantage was gained. She just sort of got to D2 and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was still in second place, like, going to get my Kona spot, blah, blah. And uh, But it was some rule um, 13.2 code 3C, you know, of the, the that no um, outside assist or no um, abandoned equipment. So you have to finish the race yeah. on the same equipment that you started on. Uh, yeah outside of like a wheel given from neutral support or whatever which is which is fair enough like in hindsight you're going yeah okay you can't have someone out there like 
to swap bikes or people would be on a TT bike for a section and then switch to a road bike. It was a climb or I don't know, all sorts of potential nonsense that could happen from that rule. But at the time I just felt like, are you fucking kidding me? Like this was, it could have been this amazing story of like people trying to help out and this other pro giving your bike. And instead it was like, yeah, you're disqualified. And, uh, and then my whole season was kind of messed up and whatever. So yeah, but (laughs) that was a pretty funny story. I'm glad I can look back on it now and just, sort of laugh and uh because honestly yeah. people it really was um redeeming like the human spirit i mean so many people wanted to help um yeah. and to just yeah. and that was pretty cool yeah and it was also pretty cool that i like maybe i didn't make the best decision but you know i didn't i wasn't aware of that rule and, and that i just kept my head in the game and just kept trying to keep racing and so you kind of go away being like ah uh, you know i showed a tough spirit and and uh what happened happened but it wasn't like yeah yeah it's it the result obviously is disappointing but the the story is phenomenal and like you say the fact that so many people tried to help and a fellow competitor tried to help out and of course yes you're supposed to know all the rules and stuff but in those kind of situations it's really not an obvious rule and it's just like your um tenacity to try and keep figuring out ways to get to that finishing line was was awesome and that's the story um regardless of the dnf or not yeah all right we've talked way too much about triathlon we need to move on (laughs) (laughs) um now we can talk about beer we can talk about beer I was just about to say, we. I'm sitting in Melbourne at the moment. You're, uh, whereabouts in Canada are you at the moment? I'm in Kelowna, British Columbia. Right. So that is home home. Right? Which is in the Okanagan Valley. Okay. That's home home. Yeah. Right. So you're back home um, and we are sitting on other sides of the world drinking a beer because we actually tried to record this podcast a few years ago in Challenge Iceland, we just couldn't get it sorted and we would have sat down and had a beer and done it then. So instead, we're sitting on the other sides of the globe Mm -hmm. having a beer. What beer are you drinking? I'm currently drinking a Granville Island. So Granville Island uh, is a little microbrew out of Vancouver, Lion's Winter Ale, and it's super delicious. Do you want me to read you the tasting notes? I do. It's like... It's so hoity-toity microbrew. It's amazing. (laughs) Born from small batch. This is in all capitals, it says. (laughs) Bursting with complex layered notes of vanilla and white chocolate with caramel malt aromas. Yeah. It's really delicious. I think we found your... uh, Uh, One thing that's BC is known for... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you keep going. Oh, no, sorry. You were just going to say something about... um... This is the problem with doing remote podcasting is there's always a slight delay. But what I was going to say is I think we found your post-triathlon career and it is reading beer labels uh, as part of an advertising campaign. (laughs) I would buy that beer. Right, with as much drama and Mm -hmm. like, you know, I mean, someone put some thought into these notes to be like, we want people to buy this beer and it's going to be delicious what can we say about it yeah and uh it is actually pretty delicious yeah here i'll send you a picture thank you and while i'm drinking this beer because i know you want that i definitely want that and we're going to post that on social media while i'm we're having a chat and i'm so i'm drinking a two birds brewing pale um and the little thing on the front says smooth and silky oats with pine and tropical hops 
uh, and this you'll like this, the two birds brewing. Tropical hops. Oh, well, we're hitting summer now, so, you know, we're looking for the old tropical hops right. in our beer consumption. So the two, two birds brewing is, right. I think it was the first, it's, it was either the first or it's the only female-owned and operated brewery in Australia, which I love. That's rad. So birds, of course, being women, because yep. that's Aussie to the max. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> where they do the brewery, the brewing, uh, they call it the nest. I just love it. Oh, nice. <laughs> Bre- brewery is a fun word to, to try and say multiple times. Isn't it? <laughs> Let's go to the brewery. <laughs> I love breweries. <laughs> it's like the world's worst word. Isn't it? Yeah. It is. A, do you know a word I could never, I never used to be able to say was almond. I used to always pronounce the L a lot, and uh, so almond. I used to say it all the time. I couldn't get it right. Almond. Al- almond. 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 It's a silent L. It's a silent L. <laughs> almond. Yeah, that is kind of an odd. <laughs> that's kind of an odd one. It uh, it's funny like, words like that. Yeah. It's like it's not like we you can run out of you know, words, why do you have to start throwing in silent letters and stuff? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> the English language. Let's go back to you. We've, we've spoken about, well, we're on to beer. Uh, do you remember the first time we met? Mm-hmm. Oh, you do? Or no? <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I don't. I, like, if you had to, like, if I had to, like, blurt it out as fast as possible, if I had a bit of time to, like, sit and think, but it doesn't c- come up on, the, like, Immediately, the first okay. time we met. That's okay. I'm not offended because I can't actually remember either. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. It's like a trick question. I say it and you're like, oh, yeah. I know. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you have foiled my plan. Um, no, but w- well, what I was going to say and follow on from uh, from that question was we, like, we've actually spent a fair bit of time at – and around events, events um, like through Europe and in Australia. Um, I haven't spent time with you in the States, although I have in Kona, which I guess is still the States, isn't it? Um, but we, we've actually had a pretty a pretty good friendship, I would like to say. Uh, over the years, I've gotten to know you and Trev reasonably well because it hasn't just been seeing you on race day and, and following the race. I've actually spent some really good quality time with you. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, that's been really nice. It's it has been great. Like we got to hang out in Iceland, like spend some quality time. Remember when we went around that the island, like with those amazing bike shots, and we're just trying to like scope all that out. That was super cool. And you yeah. told me, what no, it, it, it has been. It's been a pleasure. I taught you what oh fjord, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just did. It's something to do with. I just assume everyone knows what a fjord is. I'm willing to bet not everyone does. I think we've had this conversation before. Yeah, it's maybe maybe my bias obviously is like being from British Columbia, being from somewhere where there's like fjords everywhere and uh same like in Norway and Iceland, like just it's just a big inlet of the of the sea into you know, usually with steep mountainous walls on the side and there's like a river coming down sort of meeting the meeting the ocean. And so but actually I live on what's known as a fjord lake uh oh. in the Okanagan and it's just like a massive lake. It's 135 kilometers long, like hemmed in by mountains. Oh, magic. Um and that's kind of just the idea. It's like a water body with big mountains around. Yeah. Um so, so just on all of that and your 
uh, you knowing the term fjord and other bits and pieces. I don't know how many people know, but you are well into your – can I – is it flora and fauna that you're into or is it more fauna? It's more flora, I mean. It's more fauna predominantly, but I'm just like a massive science geek. So if there's like factoids about natural history – or something, then I'll just like be totally into it and remember. So it can be like about animals as well. But my background is a plant physiologist. So I just like know shit about plants. So I tend to, and ecology and like forest ecosystems and stuff. So I tend to geek out especially hard on those kind of things. <laughs> what's your, what's your favorite tree? <laughs> okay. So oh I have God. categories of favorite trees. <laughs> Pandora's box. <laughs> my favorite deciduous tree. My favorite deciduous tree is trembling Wait, aspen. Wait, what's a deciduous? Okay, a deciduous tree is a tree that loses its leaves in the fall. Okay, so it's like a pretty broad category of trees. They're like maples and broadleaf trees. Then there are decidu- or excuse me, evergreen broadleaf trees. So you guys have a ton. You have the eucalyptus. So they don't yearly just drop all their leaves, right? They shed them frequently throughout the year, but they but they're they're evergreen broadleaf trees. Okay. So my favorite of those trees is the arbutus. I love that we're having this conversation. <laughs> yep, carry on. <laughs> and, and then there's coniferous trees, which there are also two types of those, which is amazing. In in Canada, we have this. It's a conifer. Yep. Okay, so it has cones and like needle trees. So like oh, a pine yes. tree is what people think of, like a Christmas yep. tree, which actually which actually are usually spruce trees, not pine trees, but and those are two different trees. But anyway. Um, <laughs> But there are deciduous conifers. So there are the conifers that have the cones and the needles, but they shed their needles in the fall. And I'm surrounded by the best species of those. They're, they're called Western larch. And right now, so like picture these hills around the yep. house, but, and like green, you know, like the, but then interspersed are these like electric yellow, like pine looking trees. Those are Western larch, but they shed their needles in the winter. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. So those are my favorite uh, deciduous conifers, and my favorite evergreen conifers are ponderosa pine. <laughs> I understood three of those. Words. So I have technically four favorite trees. Okay, all right. I, I'm making notes. As we, I'm not making notes, but I can imagine. I can imagine <laughs> you sitting there, and you can tell by the pitch in your your voice. It gets higher and higher as you and you your voice. Um, it gets I mean, faster. I get yeah. Trees. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so back in the day, right? You're, you're <laughs> loving trees yeah. and animals and swim, bike, and run. What led you down the triathlon track and not down the love of like sciencey stuff? Yeah, well, um, I was down the love of sciencey stuff track uh, big time. So I thanks for dumbing that. Got my uh, undergrad degree. <laughs> at, at UBC, I I did a. Bachelor of Science with a, a major in forest genetics, and I wrote an honors thesis in, in that. And then I went and did my master's degree in plant physiology, with an eye on doing a, a PhD over in Norway of this this really cool research project, basically trying to understand like the fundamentals of plant development, so like the equivalent of stem cells in plants. So what makes a leaf become a leaf and the stem become a stem, and how does it all work? Uh, both like from a genetics and a cell signaling perspective. And so I was, I was in academia for a long time. I had lots of degrees and was uh, going to be a prof at a university and, you know, write academic papers and uh, 
be a scientist. And um, when I started working for Natural Resources Canada back uh, in Victoria, science is, the science is awesome, uh, and, and I find that very stimulating. But like any job, a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff is pretty boring. Um, yeah, right. So like grant writing and just being in the lab, you know, basically pipetting stuff <laughs> and yeah. uh, trying to have the science that you really want to do be something that's like someone will pay a grant to make that research happen and to like, and, and um, there was also complications with like uh, having kind of a psycho advisor on my PhD committee and various things, but it just sort of was like, wow, okay. So academia is not necessarily all it's cut out to be. And um, I had, when I was doing my undergrad, I, I rode varsity at UBC and I was being six two and, uh, kind of a keen endurance sport person. I was a really good rower and I sort of yeah. abandoned maybe pursuing national team stuff with rowing to, to do academics. And so when Trevor and I got pretty seriously into triathlon as age groupers and started, you know, winning our age group. And then I started being like, damn, I would be finishing, you know, top among the pros. Maybe I should get my pro license and uh, all that stuff. It was kind of felt like the time in life to be like, you know what? I, I, uh, Hopefully we'll have my brain long after my physical, you know, self fades away a bit more. Like there's, there's only so much time in life you could be a top yeah. athlete, but, and so maybe we need to, you know, try and do that. And, and, uh, kind of just came at a time where we were both a bit disillusioned. Like, wow, is this like what life is now? We have jobs and we have yeah. a home and we just like make money and, and do triathlon for fun. Like, is this what we want? And it was just sort of like, huh no, maybe we could just do a totally different thing. Um, and so, yeah, that's when we, we went down to Wildflower in a friend's um, fifth wheel. Or no, it was just like a camper, just a camper truck, you know, that sits on the back of a truck. Oh, yeah. Um, and we went down, like, so it's a long drive down to California. It's like 2,000 kilometers or something. But, you know, you make a road trip out of it. And, and we're like, damn, like, it's actually pretty fun we could live like we're pretty easy going we could live out of an rv or like a mobile home and the biggest expenses of for training and racing are like flights and accommodation and having somewhere to live and but what if we you know that was like included and in having a mobile home and blah blah and so that kind of seed got planted and uh yeah finally in 2008 we gave notice at our jobs we sold our condo and sold everything and bought this uh RV <laughs> got yeah. it on Repo Depot. It was like up for auction and got repossessed. So we got a, like a really good wow. deal on it. School and, and lived in that for for like three more months while we like finished up our jobs and stuff like that, and then hit the road full time in uh, February of two thousand and nine. So wow. Yeah. So let's go further back yeah. to obviously you and you and Trevor, uh, your team. Um, Team Wotel. Uh, how yeah. did you guys meet? What <laughs> what drew you guys together? Love of trees. We <laughs> no, but I will tie into a really cute thing about that. Mm -hmm. um, we were good friends in high school, so we were partners like in chemistry eleven, <laughs> and oh. uh, so like, but but just friends. Like he was a super um, keen into cycling at that point. 
Um, yeah. So he, he was like on the Canadian junior national team and stuff like that as a cyclist. Um, and I was like a super keen academic person. And so it was funny. We would kind of sit in the grad lounge or like hang out. We'd go to my home for lunch sometimes, you know, like make itchy band noodles and just hang out. Like we were just good friends, but really good friends. Like we always got along really well. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, sort of went our separate ways. I was doing my undergrad degree and I started my master's at, at UVic. And Trevor was also in Victoria at that time. And our parents just like ran, bumped into each other at the mall back home in Vernon because we're from both from Vernon, British Columbia, which is just on the north end of the same massive fjord lake that I live on now. Um, and. Oh, yep. And uh, they're like, oh, hey, we know you guys are like, we're good friends in high school. You're both in Victoria. You should like get together. Um, and so we just started hanging out and was like, okay, this is weird because it's like my bud Trevor from high school, but, you know, kind of in love with this guy and stuff. And he oh. was training at that time for a 24-hour mountain bike race. Yeah. And we were heading out on a ride and I wiped out real bad on my bike and it fell over the front and smashed my quad on my bar end oh. uh, and had a massive hematoma in my left quad. I had to go to the emergency room and uh, yeah, that was, that was rough. And <laughs> the worst part was I was about, I was supposed to be teaching undergraduate labs. Like that was on the weekend on the week, like starting like my new thing as like a grad student at UVic, like anyway. And then I'm in the yeah. hospital with this really heinous leg injury and stuff. But Trevor, like, uh, we weren't a couple or anything then. We were just like going out on a bike ride, but he, you know, was by my bed and came like the next day. He made me like a mix CD. Oh my god. Which goodness. was like, yeah, so awesome. And Brilliant. he didn't bring me flowers. He brought me tree leaves. Oh, stop from it. This, that, from this tree called a sweet gum <gasps> that I was geeking out to him about because it has these really cool quirky outgrowths on the branches and if you crush the leaves in your hands it smells like carrots and I was just like blah 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 about this <laughs> tree and he was actually paying attention and so that was like oh god wow. pure love uh, <laughs> it was the sweetest thing ever <laughs> oh my goodness it's a little bit um serendipity a little bit yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, that's well played, Trev. That's uh very impressive. Does he still bring you branches? He hasn't brought me branches in a while. I'll have to bring that up with him. No, he's a very thoughtful guy. He um <laughs> he makes me the most honest to God, the best cortada you've ever had. Ooh. I get to have every morning, thanks to my husband Trevor. So I'm pretty okay with that being the thing. The guy makes legit coffee. So, uh, yep. I've, yeah. Well, I've seen the photos. I haven't had a taste test yet, but I have seen the photos. So, do you, you've got a proper coffee machine at home? Yeah, we've got like a rocket, uh, Giotto espresso, like a legit espresso, and and of course, and you know, because you go down the rabbit hole. Like, there's no point in having this amazing. Then you have to have the grinds, and you have to be able to adjust the grind fineness and get like the right beans. And so it's it's kind of like uh, I find triathletes and and. I'll, they're this interesting group of like, they really enjoy pushing themselves in during sport, but I feel like they also really get into like techie kind of geeky things, or maybe it's just my subset of friends, but I don't know. We all like fully geek out on stuff like that because it's kind of like a nice mix of art and science and it takes a little bit of skill and it's very gratifying when you get it to yeah. pour just right, you know, and and uh, just having really delicious coffee is 
is makes us very happy. Like we were like, oh, we get to have coffee tomorrow morning. Like when, when we're going to bed. So <laughs> yeah, let's go to bed now. Yeah, let's so we coffee. can get up and have coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it's it's like um, you, you know, you're always striving for perfection uh, in terms of triathlon. So it's it's all about the one percenters, and those fine fine details do make a difference in terms of a good coffee. Hundred percent. It's it's fascinating, and like you have the whole thing dialed in terms of your grind size and all the things, and like flow rate, like how long the shot runs for. Like you get the, it's just all perfect, and you're like, this is amazing. And then you get new beans, and you're like, wow, you need it's it's crazy. Game it changer. changes, yeah, game changer. And then it takes a minute to like get the shots to go perfect, and uh, so yeah, just a tiny difference in the freshness or the roast of the beans makes a massive difference, and. Um, just if you've tamped it perfectly or if there's channeling or like it's a little like, oh, that shot was like a little sour oh compared to the whatever. And so it's, it's kind of like, if, you know, people get into their beer big time or their wine or whatever. It's just whatever you're passionate about. And the more you know, the more you are aware of all these little things that, that make a difference, right? So... Uh, we interrupt your scheduled programming. Um, unfortunately, we had a few technical issues when we were chatting to Heather, which meant I had to cut out a bit of the interview. Otherwise, it would have sounded like a robot that no one wants to hear. It's unpleasant to the ears, uh, very much unlike my dulcet tones that you are now enjoying. Uh, all Heather and I were really talking about was coffee, beer, wine. I think we circled back to coffee again. Uh, and then we moved on to just a little bit about family um, and how I guess she grew up alongside her brother um, and how that sort of dynamic uh, worked out for her in terms of becoming quite competitive. So we're going to jump straight back in to that. 100% for sure. I was like, I think I'm just competitive a bit by nature, but I definitely like. Mm-hmm always wanted to be able to play with my older brother and do the things that he was doing and um yeah there it definitely um and also I think I I was pretty much a tomboy already anyway and so that just sort of like relating more often to him and his friends and like oh cool what are they what are they doing it made me yeah for sure it did so so when you say you're a tomboy, do you think growing up, did you relate more to, to boys when you were growing up or? Yeah. And like literally being, okay. So when you're a skinny little kid who is a foot taller than all of your peers, uh, everyone thinks you're a boy. <laughs> so like, seriously, my like, and I still get mistaken. Like people, it's amazing. Actually, people don't look at you when you just walk into like up to a teller, for instance, they just like kind of glance up, get a sense of your height and go like, how can I help you, sir? Oh my gosh. And you're like, hi, I I just want to get this Gatorade. I get it all the time. And when I was a kid, it was actually really tough. I was like, well, everyone thinks I'm a boy all the time. Um, Yeah. And so that was kind of an interesting, like difficult gender identity thing. I remember I was at the mall when I was a little kid, like in a dress and I just got my ears pierced. And someone said, like, oh, is that your son? And I was like, what? <laughs> but there was just oh something, I think, about the way, I think just being tall and, like, you know, flat-chested and not curvy, you know, it was just like I just, people just look real quick. They just sort of think, like, oh, that's that's a boy. Um, 
And so I don't know if that was part of it, but I was just never, you know, I never liked dresses or things. I liked being outside and, uh, yeah, that that was just my jam. And it wasn't necessarily like not liking girls or anything. It, it was just, uh, I just sort of related more, got on, tend to get on with, with guys better. Yeah. 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 It's so, it's so interesting. So I was pretty much exactly the same. And I mean, I'm still pretty tall, um, relatively speaking, but I mean, compared to you, not quite as tall, but I, I got the exact same thing. So many, I think you're right. People would just look at you briefly, see a tall, lanky person and think that it's a boy. Um, and I was the same. It caused me quite a few, like generally it didn't, I was just like, whatever, I don't give a shit. But I think there was that deep down underlying um, emotional turmoil about it. I definitely For looked sure. back at my yeah. time as, as a child and youth. Yeah, definitely. Um, and every now and then it happens to to me now because I do tend to wear active wear and hats and all that kind of stuff. But it's it bothers me so much. It, it, sorry, it doesn't bother me anywhere near as much anymore, particularly since having Frankie. Um, because, and sorry to make this about me, but I find this whole conversation quite interesting. I dress her as a tomboy. I try not to dress her in pink because I don't like the color. Um, but also I'm, I'm extremely stubborn and I refuse to just sort of, you know, go down the line, down the line of, of gender norms, whether it be pink or or whatever. Um, and because she's, you know, Frankie could be a boy or a girl's name. So many people just assume she's a boy and that's fine. I do correct them, but it's amazing. The response is that they get really um, apologetic. And I was like, it's not like, I'm not, we're not offended. She's she's one. She doesn't even know what you're saying. And, you know, whatever, I dress her in a cap and everything. And that's what society has been telling you that, you know, little boys wear hats and sneakers and, you know, so it's, it's almost making me do it more just to try and stop those stereotypes. I don't know. Like in the grand scheme of things, one person won't make a difference, but if thousands and thousands of people are doing it, maybe it can start to make a bit of a difference in those stereotypes. I don't know. Right. I've really overthought this. <laughs> no, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And I see it like my sister-in-law, she's also tall like me um, and is really trying to be aware too with her kids about, because yeah, so much of like the societal gender norms, you know, and um just try not to sort of impose those things but it's crazy how much they get subconsciously imposed no matter what right like you see a a little girl and it's all about like oh aren't you cute and isn't that a nice outfit and yes and you see a guy and you're like oh hey little buddy like you know do you want to go play and like it's like why like but it's just we're used to interacting that way you know so i try so hard to not be like okay ask like you know, what are you, what are you doing? Or what, like, are you, did you read a cool book or like something that's just not in these like gender categories, but it's yep. crazy how much is just Im- embedded in the, in our whole society. Like, oh yeah. Sure. And then as someone that's like grown up, like I remember so distinctly this memory of we were on vacation in Mexico 
and this guy was helping all the people off the bus and, and he was like grabbing the women's hands and like helping them off and I was and this was all like seemed very fancy and nice and so I reached my hand out to get like help down off the bus steps and he like shakes it and says hello senor oh my god <laughs> and I remember just cr- I remember just crying like I was so my feelings were so hurt and 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 you know my parents were like oh you know <laughs> and just feeling like devastated about that that like yeah. But it's kind of interesting to um, have it matter that much, you know, and how that, how you identify as a kid, it shapes so much of, um, yeah, how you feel and, and, uh, and, and yet, and then as someone who is like, and I'm pretty hypersensitive to like, you know, someone will see like, and like, oh, that dude. And I'm like, no, I think that's maybe a woman, you know, (laughs) like, um, just trying to be aware of of that sort of thing it is still amazing even with that how like easy it is to fall into to gender stereotypes for sure yeah definitely that went on a um an interesting tangent (laughs) i got quite deep (laughs) well it's funny even in triathlon like i remember i was at rev 3 quasi and i was winning the women's race but the camera crew that was setting up to get the shots of the woman's leader were setting up as I was going by every time because they didn't think I was a woman. They just thought I was one of the pro men doing oh my God. in the race. And so it's actually a pretty yeah, funny right. story. Like the guys that shot that race after they're like, Oh, sorry, we were missing you. And I was like, yeah, I saw like every time I was at that corner, you were setting up trying to get the woman and I was going past. <laughs> and they're like, would, would you mind oh, wow. going back going back out and riding some sections of the course so we can get footage for this. Cause they did actually a very good job of trying to put together a whole, you know, thing about the pro race or whatever, but they just didn't have any footage yeah, of me. Wow. <laughs> wow. How did they broach that subject with you? Well, they were just kind of came up and said like, Hey, you know, and I, and I've always been, I don't know, pretty easy going. Like I was stoked. I won the race. It was like a big deal for me actually. Cause I beat, Rinny, like the first time ever at this, and, you know, and I was like yeah. just over the moon with this like awesome performance. And then they're like, oh, geez. And I, and I, you know, and I'm like, well, I want you to have footage of me. So, okay. So I'm like bagged from this race and we go back out to like on the course with my bike and my aero helmet and stuff. And like, okay, like pretend you're in the race <laughs> going around this corner and stuff. <laughs> uh, so I had that a lot. Like, and because, already in triathlon kit like you're pretty androgynous right and especially trevor and i would just try and have like matching kit so it wasn't necessarily like i wouldn't go on the feminine sort of a vein and so all the time i was like way to go buddy i would get you know and uh and and that's fine it's hard to tell when when people are racing but sometimes it got irritating you're like no i'm the lead female like (laughs) yeah and yeah, I mean, full respect that they sort of put their hand up and said we we messed up and this is how we can uh, try and make it up. So I mad respect for that for sure. Instead of just uh, a lot of the times people just sort of sweep it under the under the rug when they mess up. No, exactly. To me, yes, that's a yeah, and and that's a frustrating situation because I get that they may not you know have seen you as the lead female. But then I also think, okay, well, if that if that has happened or, you know, I'm sure you're not the only female athlete that's happened to, what do we need to do to make sure that we don't miss the females? So there needs to be a little bit more force, um, forward thinking, forward planning, um, make sure that there is a, a someone who is running the show who knows who the athletes are. Like, you know, you know who Heather Wattell is. She's probably going to be on the podium, so make sure we keep an eye out for her. Like, Stuff like that. And I'm not having a go at them, but no. you see this, these kind of things happening and it's... Uh, I think, too, there was this sort of expectation that, oh, we can tell who the women are. 
they, you know, and, yeah. and, and as you think, as women have gotten more and more conscious of like, my arrow position really freaking matters. The the aerodynamics of my kit yeah. really matter. Like I don't need to be cute and feminine. I need to be freaking fast. So I'm going to get that dialed. I'm going to have a long sleeve kit. I'm going to, it's not going to be necessarily a cute feminine outfit that you can tell who I am. It's going to be whatever is going to make me go fast. And that's where I found frustrating was like, the point isn't how you look like from a, whatever yeah. we think is visually, a physically attractive point of view. The point is being a fast freaking triathlete. So like, if I look like a dude, that's awesome. Cause that looks like, like I'm going really fast, you know, it's sort of like the, that skewed perspective. Cause yeah. oh, women can't look like they're going fast. And so it needs to shift to be like, no, they look, they don't look a different way. They're just incredibly aerodynamic and fast on their bike. And like, so we need to yeah. ahead of the thing, be like, okay, yeah. who is who, what kind of kit do they have? What are their wheels? What's the, you know, to, to really make sure that they're identified yeah. properly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just on that note, and I think you, Trevor, and I had this conversation quite a few years back. I'm very particular with the photos that I post and I always try and post photos that make uh, the female athletes look powerful. So, you know, for example, it's when you're um, – when your legs lifting off the ground, when you're when you're running, or both feet are off the ground, as opposed to when you're hitting the ground, and, <laughs> and you got you know, the like. I mean, no runner looks good when they. No. Yeah, <laughs> your your face skin is like yeah. tagged down. Your leg is all like wrinkled. Your hip is like not in it. Yeah, it's amazing how you can go from like zero to hero in two seconds yeah. with the photos, right? Like you're like, oh my god, my run form, and then the next photo, you're like, oh look at that, I look I look amazing. <laughs> I remember Trevor saying he doesn't like photos where his knees coming forward because you don't see the quad definition on men when the knees coming forward. And I was like, oh my God, I hadn't thought about that because all I think about is what looks good as a, as a female athlete or, right, you know, what makes right. them look powerful and that men might have slightly different views on what makes them look strong. It's quite an interesting conversation. It is fascinating and it's fascinating to- Two, when we're looking at photos, the ones he will gravitate towards ones where he would like hit his leg, like, because, yeah, like you see that ripped quad, like often when he's landing. And, and when I'm landing, yeah. I'm like, good God, I never want to see that photo. And he's yeah. like, what? You look great. And I'm like, no, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is really interesting, just a different perspective and where we'll judge like how we look or what looks good. And yeah, like I, I think a lot of guys, they, they just, feel like they have this sort of knobbly knee when they're when they're striding forward from head on shots and they don't like how that looks when they're running but we're like yeah. oh we look so thin and nice and then the, another skewed thing of like what you're supposed to look like right i have to look i don't know lean in the, instead yeah, of just totally. look like i have a powerful quad when i'm landing and yeah it's it is kind of kind of interesting for sure yeah, yeah definitely um we could continue obviously to keep talking for hours and hours but I do have to actually wrap this up for a couple of reasons. You have to go to bed. Uh, I need to get Frankie out of bed. Um, I don't want to wrap this up entirely, though. So can we maybe do another one of these, you know, a couple of months down the track? I'm sure people would like to hear more from you. There's so much more to talk about. Yeah, no, I'd be delighted to. Yeah, it it will be um, interesting to see what happens, like, uh, as we progress into our non-full-time athlete lives. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, so far, honestly, like after um, we wanted to try some different things, like we did a gravel race and we did an Xterra 
uh, Trevor did Exter two. He won Exter Portland, and then we did another one down in Ogden. And it just kind of wanted to try, like, oh, maybe we're just tired of long course triathlon, like not racing completely, you know, and and uh, want to try different things. And I've been like super addicted to mountain biking, like just going crazy doing that every day. And so it's been really nice sort of exploring some different things um, and having like really unstructured life for the past uh, couple months. But yeah, now we're just trying to sort out, yeah, what life yeah. is going to be all about for the next while. It's very exciting. I imagine you actually are quite excited about it. Phase three, let's call it four. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny um, having made like a huge, just a huge lateral jump in our career paths when we were, you know, when we decided to do triathlon, uh, it's definitely made us a little bit um, less fearful. So we're kind of like, man, you know, we, there's yeah. so many things we could do. What do we want to do, you know? Uh, and that's a really good place to, to be in. So it's, it's pretty cool to be uncertain about the future, but not like yeah. concerned about it, you know? Um, and, and, and it's a real privilege to sort of be in that place right now. Oh, for sure. And I think you nailed it when you said um, it's a privilege uh, in terms of what do you want to do, like what actually will bring you joy because unfortunately I don't think many people um, have the ability to be able to do that, just choose what they love and go out afterwards. I mean they probably could but unfortunately not many people do and I think that's, I think that's a great message for people out there. You can actually go out and do what you want to do. Yeah, indeed. Sometimes it's just making scary decisions. I mean, for us, it was just saving and saving and being like, so that when we retired, we we wouldn't be financially stressed, you know, and just uh, so we could have our options open. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely yeah, it's definitely a privilege. You see a lot of people sort of yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I, that's another interesting thing. I'm sorry, we're gonna keep going too long. We're trying to wrap it up, but like that's okay. You know, you know, going like, oh, you're so lucky to be a professional triathlete, uh -huh. and it's, and you're kind of like, for sure, luck, luck is a part, but it was also years and years of very tough decisions, yep. um, and making these choices and doing these things to make it a tenable lifestyle. We lived in a freaking RV for almost six years, so we could save our money and afford to do it and not have a mortgage. And, you know, there was a lot of very difficult decisions and and the commitment along the way that enabled us to do that, and so. Yeah, I try not to be like, oh, they're so lucky or this person is in such a good place. Yep. A lot went into making that be their life situation. And a lot of it is luck. I mean, oh my goodness, I was born in Canada. I had such a privileged upbringing that I could like, even know triathlon was a sport that I could do, you know? So all of these things, I, I try not to take for granted how uh, fortunate we were to even have that be part of our lives. But Completely, completely agree. I think luck, luck isn't quite the right word because you do work your ass off to be where you're at. Um, yeah, this hasn't all just landed in your plate. Um, I, I want to just quickly before you do go, we've had a question come in from Kate Hefferin. Um, so before you go, can you answer this question? Who were your favourite competitors and why? Or competitor? <laughs> it's a hard question. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, I really, I guess, something that was really gratifying in my career was racing Heather Jackson so many times at Oceanside. Um, so yep. that race was like the big kind of big deal in the North American tri scene. It was like the first race of the year and it always had an amazing field. And Heather and I sort of traded off being first and second 
over over several years at that race. Um, yeah, and I always enjoyed that race between her and just that everyone that towed the line there it was really competitive. Um, so yeah, yep. definitely. I would say part of it is just the nature of like who you end up racing a lot because, you know, you're within the North American sort of space. Um, I always loved racing Rini. I have great respect for her as an athlete. It was always cool to visit. Um, and we sort of had different strengths. So it was neat seeing our progression, uh, throughout my career as well. Um, yeah. And uh, Caroline, Stefan, like, she was someone that I just like really respected as an athlete and just thought she was cool and kind of appreciate how she raced, but we never really got to to race yep. one another. And it was cool when she did come over to Oceanside uh, in yeah 2015, I think. And then we were both Cervelo athletes. Um, so we raced at Oceanside there. Like yep. I won, it was Heather and then Carolyn. And then we had this like big Cervelo thing kind of in the lead up to revealing the P5X. So oh, that was really right. cool to yep. get to know her better in person yeah and then uh when we raced uh worlds in malulaba that same year it was cool to be able to like hang out with her and yeah. monty down you know and so uh i really enjoyed that yeah. connection as well yeah oh that's right and there's that uh that photo that we took of you caroline and uh mel Halshield, i think mel all running together yeah that's one of my all-time yeah. favorite photos that's so brilliant i was actually gonna i was like I've been kind of clued out of social media actually for the past week, but I was like, I need to put together like my 10 favorite photos from triathlon and that, and that was definitely <laughs> one of them. Cause it was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you're all off the ground as well. So you all looked amazing and I know it was amazing. Badass. We was all awesome. were like had, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that was such a great, that was such a great race. That, that was like goes down into one of my, I mean the whole thing. Uh, anyway, we're not talking more about triathlon. I will shut up. No, no, you, no, you can talk about that. What made it such a great race? Oh, just so many elements. Like, Daniela had an off day, right? Like, the one of the rare times, I think it was yeah. that year in Malulaba and this year in Kona, like, the two times she's not had a perfect performance. And so, remember when, like, at the beginning, out of the swim, I, like, kind of rode up to the group, and they're all just sitting there going, like, well, Daniela, like, we're just not going to do anything because... Yes. You, you, Daniela's riding that pace. I'm like, well, I'll, psh, we're not. And I was like, where's the front of the race? And you're like, Holly and Lauren Brandon are up the road. And I was like, well, shit. All right. I guess I need to <laughs> try <laughs> and get to, that. you know, and so try and pass this, this massive group. And I totally get it because everyone's like, but she's the best in the world. And like, we're kind of keen off of, and you're like, oh, I guess she can have a, an off day. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, on the ride back and forth with, uh, Caroline and uh and I know Mel Halshaw was coming up and so it was crazy when we all got off on the bike and that, that first section we were like running together and Mel and Caroline were like pushing the pace and I was kind of going uh I don't know if this is sustainable like I knew I was in excellent run fitness but I'm like I, I can't try and stay with Mel you know so like not long after that shot like I kind of fell back Caroline tried to stay with her then she blew up a bit yeah. then I caught back and, and it was just like a great race, right? And so it was like Holly, then yeah. Mel, then me, and then Daniela, then Caroline, yeah. I think. Like, I mean, it's just amazing having a great racing in company like that. So it was pretty cool. Definitely, definitely a highlight for sure, watching that race unfold live. Um, 
Sorry, we are going to have to wrap it up because we're now up to about an hour and 20. <laughs> and I think if we start on another conversation, we just won't stop. <laughs> Steph is like, for goodness uh... sakes, I scheduled this so she would have to go to bed. <laughs> but I'm not a triathlete, a pro triathlete anymore, so like I can stay up later. <laughs> Oh, things are going to get crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I say I have to um, nine tonight. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Oh, man. But it's been so awesome catching up just from a friend point of view. Just so good to chat to you. I miss, I miss catching up with you. I haven't seen you in quite some time. So, and I think I can speak for everyone and say that the triathlon world will miss you. Uh, but from a personal point of view, I've missed catching up with you. Oh, thanks for that stuff. Yeah, totally. You have to get your butt over to Canada one of these times. Like, make a point to, I don't know, oh, come shoot Ironman my- Canada. You have a place to stay. So, Done. That's out I there. totally, I absolutely need to get. Those photos that you, thank you, but those photos that you pose, the color of that water is just insane. I have to get there. It looks, amazing yeah we we live on like some of the most gorgeous lakes you've ever seen for sure yeah yeah just incredible we'll make it happen i'll definitely be there and i'll definitely take you up on uh the offer of somewhere to stay as long as frankie can come too yeah for sure that sounds like um, a plan. trev can babysit <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually very good he's a very good babysitter ah. gets to gravitate to him because he's kind of quiet and like listens and yeah that's so that's the same as Brett as well. He just is very patient, quiet, and yeah, can just kind of unassuming. And kids too. are like, oh, I like this guy. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, interesting. Mm. All right, okay, mm. consider it done. Okay, um, all right. Have you finished your beer? No, I've been too busy gabbing. I'm still working on it. That's kind of weak sauce, isn't it? <laughs> very weak sauce. Is that a Canadian reference? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's kind of a me <laughs> thing. I just say that. I don't know. Okay. Um, sorry, I am going to now ask another question. <laughs> so <laughs> we're really bad at this uh, wrapping it up, thing. aren't we? Um, so our Kona call that we did this year, the podcast, I, I mean, I'm pretty impressed with myself and my friend who did it that we managed to get you out of that your- was brilliant. I laughed so hard, that was my favorite. And you, you weren't going to talk about Kona, you, you had a social media ban on Kona, but we broke you. But my question to you is, did we nail the Canadian stuff? And we apologize to Jenna Nett for using her. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, like it was just the spoof on that, like, oh, sorry, sorry, like I'm passing you, like, oh, I'm so sorry, oh, she's like, and. And she, oh, it, I thought it was hilarious. Like it was just, I mean, the whole point was to be over the top with the stereotypes of everyone. And like, yep. I was just laughing. I thought that was, that was just so brilliant. And all the like digs at like the women's coverage and the, <laughs> like even the, oh, oh, it was, it was very well done. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. So thanks for putting that out there. That couldn't have been easy. It's, it's, you know, from personal experience, it's hard to make uh comedy spoofs or you sort of think like oh this is really funny but is it going to come across like how funny it feels to me and yep. and, and putting that all together like that I was like yeah that was that was good work that was some solid work right there well thank you I have to give all of the credit to or 90% of the credit to my mate Nat Garonzi who is she's actually a um, comedy writer and because this is something I've been wanting to do for years 
Um, and at first I was like, yeah, this is what I want it to be, but I had no idea how hard it was to pull that together um, until I saw, I got right. her to do it for me. And obviously I I came up with a, a lot of the ideas because she didn't know all of the athletes and everything, so I was throwing all the different sort of um, tidbits at her. But she is an absolute genius. That is That entire thing was pretty much written by her and – yeah, it's so much harder than what you can imagine comedy for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was really refreshing, especially like uh, that's one thing I think travel is so earnest and everyone takes themselves so seriously a lot of the time and uh and it so for me like and, and that's always been our thing like oh we just want to have a laugh like so just so it's, yeah. it's fun to like poke fun and just ha- yeah, have a have a good and and there's like the truth bombs in there at the same time, you know, which is like the extra funny part of the comedy. So no, it was very well done. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, thank you, and I'm I'm glad we got the uh, got you out of your Kona a social media hiatus. And it's going to be a thing. We're going to be doing it every single year now. So now we've got to lift the bar for next year. Okay, so my one Kona tweet from now on is going to be the only <laughs> one and only thing I tweet from Kona will be retweeting your comedy thing. So there we go. Awesome. Thank you. I hope that uh, we live up to standard. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap this up. It's, this is definitely it. It's okay. over. We're done. Say, say goodbye to the millions of followers. Thank you, millions of followers. It was just so great that you would tune in to listen to Steph and I. <laughs> Much appreciated. Uh, thanks for joining us.